Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hello, it's Matt McLaughlin, and welcome to a brand new season of Living History. That's right, we're back. We've got some really exciting things coming up for you this year. But in the meantime, while we're putting those in place, I thought we'd revisit some of our most popular episodes from previous years. We've done hundreds of episodes of the podcast. We've done some pretty special episodes previously that you might have missed. So for the next week or two in the warm-up before we release the new episodes, I thought I'd share with you some of my favorite episodes from previous seasons. So please enjoy this episode of Living History, and I'll see you with the new episodes very, very soon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Living History, and this week marks a couple of very special anniversaries. Of course, on the 11th of November, it's Remembrance Day, the day we stop and think about all the men and women who've given their lives during times of war. And I hope you all take the opportunity to pause at 11am on the 11th of November to think about the the hundreds of thousands of Australians who've given their lives in times of war for our country. But the 11th of November also marks another anniversary. It was on that day in 1880 that Ned Kelly was hanged in old Melbourne jail, or Melbourne jail as it was known at the time. And I thought, what a great opportunity to go and learn a bit more about Ned Kelly because he's one of the most iconic Australians and we all think we know the story inside and out. But like most chapters of history, there's always more to learn. So I took the opportunity to go to the place where Ned Kelly was hanged, the old Melbourne jail, and one of the wonderful guides down there, Trevor, showed me all around the jail. We visited the cells where Ned Kelly stayed before he was hanged, the site of the gallows where he swung from, and various other sites in the prison associated with the last days of Ned Kelly. It was a really fascinating visit. You can do it yourself when you're in Melbourne. They do guided tours of the jail and I strongly recommend you go down there and check it out. So I hope you take the opportunity to pause and remember on November 11 to remember all those who gave their all in times of war. But also, I hope you take a moment to enjoy this exploration of the character that was Ned Kelly. This is the Living History Podcast. Broadcasting live across the airwaves. Trevor, we're standing here in a well, a relatively modern courtyard outside the jail, but this is really where the story of Ned Kelly's final days begins, doesn't it? That's right. He arrived here straight from Den Rowan um, after over nighting in Benalla, and uh, they brought him here from North Melbourne Station into the hospital that was in the middle of this courtyard. Now, he was very ill. He had just come from... Uh, a shootout with the police where he'd ended up with 28 bullet wounds in his arms and legs. 28 bullet wounds? 28. Most of those were from shotgun pellets, I think, but they're still wounds, they were still bleeding, he was in shock, so he was in a, a pretty bad way. In fact, they were scared he was going to die, 
and they didn't want him to die. He was the only survivor. The other three members of the gang died, Glen Rowan, uh, and uh, they didn't want Ned to die because they wanted to hang him, and they were, they were certain about that. So he went straight into the, um, into the hospital here, and he was there for six weeks while they got him well again. So it, was, it would have been a pretty traumatic time for him. Um, infection was uh, a potential problem. Um, I read that he had his own waterbed, which surprised me. I didn't even know they had waterbeds in the 19th century, but apparently there was something like that to sort of ease the, the pressure on his wounds. And he would have been an incredible amount of pain as well. I thought so, yes, yes. I mean, we're talking about 1880. There's not much in the way of, uh, of really good medicines around. Um, and you mentioned shotgun pellets as well, without being too gory about it. The, like the, the 19th century arms would have caused some pretty grievous injuries, you would expect. They, they would. Um, the police had Martini Henry rifles as well, and uh, they did real uh, damage if they hit you, big bullets. Um, they would uh, hit the, the body, uh, make a small hole, tumble over on the, in, uh, on the inside and burst out the back with a, a great big hole out the back. That's a, uh, it's a, that's a large calibre projectile. It is. And uh, if you see Ned's real armour, um, which is available in the, in the library here in, in Melbourne, uh, on, the, on the breast of the, uh, the armour there's a, a sort of little bump coming out. Well, that was made by a Martini Henry bullet, uh, the, the gang put the armour up against a tree um, to check to see if the bullet would go through. So that's why it's weird because when people look at it, the bullets obviously hit from the inside and they think, well, what happened? Did it go right through? No, it was before it was even worn. So it would stop a, um, a Martini Henry bullet uh, and that is an indication of how serious the armour was. Five millimetres thick, made of steel and heavy. Imagine the, the noise and the concussion when those bullets smacked into that armour. Exactly. Uh, and not just that, the, the damage it did because it pushed the, the armour back on his body. So when they hit him in the, in the head, in the helmet, pushed it back against the face, cut his nose, his eyebrows bruised him. He was in a, he was in a bad way and would have looked, I think, pretty terrible at the end when they took the armour off. So he spent six weeks in the hospital over here, and then what was the next chapter of his fate? The next chapter was that they decided um, the luxury of the hospital was no longer for him, and he was to be taken from the hospital and into a cell in the old cell block on the other side of the yard. Um, now, it was uh, a cell where he was looked after. Um, they, they tended him pretty well, and the, the governor of the jail at the time, Castio, seemed to have a, a degree of sympathy uh, for Ned. Uh, he seemed to get on quite well with him, uh, but uh, he could be heard exercising in a small yard out there, and they could hear the clank of the chains on his, on his wrists and ankles as he walked around. But he was there for about eight weeks, uh, and... Uh, was taken out of there off to Beechworth for um, an attempt at a trial there. Uh, it became pretty evident very quickly that he wasn't going he wasn't going to be found guilty if he was tried at Beechworth. Too many mates around the place. So they brought him back here and they tried him in the courthouse on the corner here. That in itself was a bit of a circus. Uh, the trial was supposed to take one day, according to the judge, Redmond Barry, um, because Barry was a bit worried. The trial's taking place at the end of October. 
and Barry is a horse racing man and he is worried that if the trial just spins over and over and over he's going to miss his spring racing carnival and not get to the Melbourne Cup so he decreed one day only as it turned out it took two days but uh, the result was obvious Uh, Kelly was found guilty of murdering um, one policeman of the three that he did shoot uh, they kept the other two in reserve in case they needed him if they weren't successful with the first, but they didn't need it. And uh, Barry's um, condemnation of Ned, um, he, was, he, he didn't hold back. He, he didn't like Ned. Um, and Ned remained quiet through the, the trial. He wasn't allowed to give evidence. Uh, that was the, the rule at the time. They relied on a very, very green um, lawyer that they had hired uh, in a ploy to try and play for time, which didn't work. It backfired. And this guy, in my humble opinion, I'm no lawyer, uh, just wasn't up to the job. And a lot of opportunities were missed. Um, and uh, the result being that Ned was found, found guilty and sentenced to death. And then he came back here. Obviously, this was where he came to meet his fate. He did. Um, the, in fact, the, the sentence itself was theatrical. Um, after the judge did the usual thing, you know, the, the black cap on the head and uh, to be taken from this place to a place of execution, to be hanged by the neck until he be dead, that was all very solemn. And then Ned himself looks at the judge, leans forward, points at him and says, I'll go further than that. I'll see you where I'm going. So if you're going to send me to hell, I'll see you when I get there. Twelve days after Kelly hangs here, the judge mysteriously dies. (laughs) (laughs) Ned's revenge. The the stuff of legend, yes, yes. Well, uh, they brought him here after the trial. He stays in his cell over there um, where he's watched because he's now a condemned prisoner and... uh, they're not, they don't want him to commit suicide and cheat the hangman. And then on the morning of the 11th of November, uh, about 9 o'clock, they bring him out of that cell and they walk him across the yard past the hospital here where he pauses to admire the flowers in the garden. Um, he walks right where we're standing here uh, where there's a door to the jail. Sitting outside the door, I'm not quite sure where, here or there, there's a, a sort of a gurney, a, a, a stretcher on wheels. Uh, that's going to take him back out. Uh, I don't know whether he notices that, but it would be there and in through this door. We're standing now in front of a very heavy a timber door, painted green, obviously very old. I mean, how, how long has this section of the jail even been here? Uh, this building, they started building it in 1852 and uh, finished it in early 1859 but this section here uh, the the tower here which includes the the gallows um, was not open until 1865 so it's still it's got a fair age on it and it was a new facility in Ned's day so so talk me through so Ned Kelly right where we're standing he approached this door okay he would have come up to this door there's a great big knocker on the door which I really love and I reckon someone would have gone and the door would have opened and you're faced with the stairway up to the gallows. So he would have walked through this doorway, up these stairs here. Um, I don't know how many guards he had around him. I don't think he would have been over-guarded because he still has 
Uh, he's had his chains taken off by now, but he's still, I don't think, walking terribly well. He still suffers a bit from his wounds. Up these stairs and along the landing here and into the cell next to the gallows. Just to, uh, to paint people a picture of what we're looking at here, it is a foreboding multi-storey chamber in this old jail. Everything you'd expect an old jail to be. And, oh, I can see the gallows looming over us there and the cells up above. I mean... I suppose this is exactly the sort of place they would want their condemned criminal to uh, see in his, in his last hours. Dark, gloomy, uh, a reminder that uh, what you've done and what's going to be done to you. Yes, this is not a nice place. Well, let's uh, head up the stairs. Walking up the stairs in the footsteps of Ned Kelly. Pretty extraordinary. They always brought their condemned people to the cell because it was so easy to get someone out of here onto the, the trapdoor and through the hole. A good hangman could do it in less than 30 seconds. We're standing, it's, it's two metres from the rope, from the door of the cell to the rope. It's quite extraordinary. So let's, let's go into the cell. Because it was built after the majority of the, of the jail block here, the cells are bigger here, uh, so we had a little bit of room to, to stretch out. Uh, but it needed to be bigger because they had other people in here. While Ned was in here, he had his opportunity to make his last confessions and things like that to his uh, priests. They were in here. Um, he had about an hour just finishing things off, if you like, uh, ruling a line under his life. Uh, and then the uh, sheriff arrives at the door and demands the body of Edward Kelly. And this is the signal for... Governor Castio to hand over responsibility for Ned from the jail to the sheriff and so now Ned is totally in the last leg of the system. At that time the cell door on the opposite side of the gallows, the mirror image to this cell, that door opens, out comes the hangman. Now he, he is a character. He's one of only 21 men who did the job of hangman in Victoria. No women. It wasn't a fit job for a woman. And uh, they were all pretty weird. And Up John, I think, is right up there. He is one of the weirdest. Uh, he came from Ballarat, which is not in itself weird, but, you know, um, he was about my age. He was uh, in his um, about, about 60. He had never done this job before in his life. He got the job because the regular hangman had taken off. He'd quit. And so they'd called for volunteers here in the jail, and up John had volunteered. And they'd agreed he'd do the job, and they said they would pay him five pounds. That was his, his emolument. Um, I think that's about, that's 300 and something dollars today. Now, um, he'd been in jail many times. He was, a, he was a prisoner here, as most of the hangmen were, uh, and... Uh, He'd had a pretty long list of weird crimes, things like um, stealing trousers, uh, collecting sewage without a, a license, spreading sewage on the streets of Ballarat, going to the toilet through the window of a train. And at the time he was in jail, when he hanged Ned, he was in jail um, because he'd been caught in a chicken coop without a lawful excuse. The glorious thing, when the newspapers reported on that crime, they noted that the, um, 
the chickens were very disturbed. Well, this is the guy who's got this responsibility. It's his first. He's never hanged anyone in his life before. So he comes across, and in this cell, he prepares Kelly to hang, which means he ties his arms back so he can't grab the rope and interfere. He places a folded cap on Kelly's head, which is going to be pulled down over his face at the last minute so he can't see anything and doesn't know exactly when he's going to die. And then he puts a leather strap round Kelly's knees. They take him out onto the trapdoor here, and Kelly stands under the rope. Now, we've got a rope on the on the uh, gallows now, as you can see. Um, it's not a real hangman's rope, but it looks like it. They used a three-strand rope, and uh, it had been carefully measured, uh, about eight feet long. And that was the rope was that long because... Uh, Kelly was the weight that he was, about nearly 80 kilos, and they'd worked out if you weighed 80 kilos you needed to drop about 8 feet. Now to me that seems a lot, but that's what they had. Um, you had to drop that length because when you hit the end of the rope you stop with a bang and your neck snaps. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If your neck doesn't snap, you're in big trouble. There was a noose at the end of the rope, um, a great big knot. Uh, Upjohn puts the noose over Kelly's head, pulls the knot tight, uh, and lodges the knot just under the left ear. They think that's where you put it to make maximum damage. And then he pulls down the, the cap over his head so he can't see anything else. And the next thing he does, he steps off the trapdoor and pulls the lever on the other side. There is a huge crash. And this wooden trapdoor on the floor just drops open. Kelly plummets down, hits the end of the rope, stops with a jerk, and his neck snaps. He's instantly unconscious. He doesn't feel another thing, but of course that noose keeps tightening around his neck. It stops blood getting to his brain and oxygen getting to his lungs. And in a couple of minutes, it's all over. Ned Kelly's dead. How much of what we're looking at here, standing in front of the gallows, the huge beam, the lever, the trapdoor itself, how much of this is original that was here during the Kelly execution? A great deal of it. Um, when this jail closed in 1924, they took this stuff out and set it up in Pentridge Jail and hanged another 11 people there. Uh, but when they set it up in Pentridge, they had to cut the trapdoor to fit. And so when it came time to bring it back here, when Pentridge closed in 97, the trapdoor didn't fit in the hole. <laughs> and we have the real trapdoor sitting in that uh, cell there. It's a pretty awful thing uh, to, to behold. But this trapdoor is a pretty good um, uh, facsimile. And all the fittings, the, the hinges, the little um, rings to pull it back up again, and all the mechanism underneath, that's all original. The beam is original. The metalwork around here is original. That lever that makes it work um, is 
probably not original, but the original one would have been the same, and it slotted in and out. So you only put the lever in when you were going to use it so that you didn't have accidents. So it's pretty authentic. Fantastic. Just in time for the school kids. Trevor, we're standing in front of the death mask of... Ned Kelly. Why did they even make these in the first place? Oh, they made them because they believed in those days they could tell what your personality and character was like by the shape of your head. And I think they had this grand scheme if they made the made death masks of the people they hanged here and they were convinced that they were all bad people, they could put those models together, study them, work out what a bad person's head looks like and then apply that knowledge to groups of people so they could find out who was bad and needed watching. Now, of course, it's a load of rubbish, but it has given us these bizarre but amazing um, artefacts in the jail. And here's Ned looking exactly as he would have looked a couple of hours after he died. And it's, it's quite stunning, really. Um, he looks quite peaceful, which many, many people uh, reflect on. There's no bulging eyes or anything like that. He looks peaceful. Uh, and, uh, of course, the accuracy of it is sometimes quite frightening. Some of the death masks in the jail, you can still see eyelashes in them that are pulled out of the body, uh, and they're in exactly the right place. Now, this wouldn't have been the first model out of the mould that they made because once you've got a, a mould which they made first you can fill it with plaster as many times as you like and get as many death masks as you like and Ned of course was a celebrity so if you owned a death mask of Ned Kelly that was a licence to print money but um, this must have been pretty close to the first um, off the line I know where uh, six of these are at the moment still uh, you can see them around Australia. So if they made 20 before, then six still remain. Of course, they're very fragile. If you drop that, you just end up with a lot of plaster crumbs on the floor. Um, but this one, um, not just because it's Ned, but because it stands out from the wall in the jail here, is special. Because when you go round to the back, you can see the mark of the rope round Ned's neck. Um, absolute proof that he was hanged and you can see it just the fold of the skin round the back of the neck heading up to underneath the uh, left ear which is where the knot would have been placed. Just extraordinary you can see that quite clearly in the plaster the rope mark around his neck so what a what a piece of history. It is it's, it's an it's a real piece of history and um, I have to admit no matter what you're um, impressions of Ned are if you have to lift that death mask and carry it somewhere when you're cleaning or something else in here it's special it's special now we can um, go forward a little bit after all that um, stuff happened because once they made Ned's death mask they took him out to a long skinny yard at the back of the jail and they buried him now he stayed there from uh, 1880 until 1929 they always buried uh, the victims of the rope there um, because there was a, a law passed that said if you were hanged in the jail you were buried here as well and, and that came um, to pass in part through what happened to George Melville in 1853 they used to give the bodies back to the families and they would 
have a funeral and bury them and all that. But of course, really early in the uh, colony's history, there weren't families for most of these people, so they were just buried anyway. But in 1853, George Melville was hanged, and they gave his uh, wife the body. She didn't do what was expected of her, and she took his body down to her oyster bar in Little Burke Street, laid him out in the front window, surrounded with ice and flowers and ribbons, and for two days she used his dead body for advertising. And she stood out in the front of the shop and she spruked, here, come and have a look at my husband George, what those rotten people at the jail had done to him, and why don't you come and buy some fish and chips? And this was reported in the newspapers, um, who reported that business was brisk. But, of course, the authorities got here and said, no, you can't do that. And eventually they passed a law which said if you were hanged here, you were buried here. And that's why Ned was buried here. In 1929, um, the jail had been closed for five years, uh, and they had decided to give all the land behind this building that we're in now to the education department, and the education department eventually built a school there. Uh, People pointed out at that stage that there was a cemetery here with the bodies of, I think, 49 executed prisoners in it, and the law said they had to be buried in a jail. And now they were no longer buried in a jail. And what was worse, they were going to be buried in a school playground. Not a good look. So they dug them all up and transported them to Pentridge Jail, where they dug three big holes, dumped them in there, covered them up, and promptly forgot where they put them. The bodies weren't discovered until 2008. They were dug up very carefully, Uh, They wanted to identify who was who, and in 2009 they identified Ned's body. When the coroner had finished with the bones in 2012, they gave Ned's skeleton back to the Kelly family. And in 2013, the Kelly family had a funeral for Ned and buried him in the little town of Greta up in the northeast. So that's where Ned travelled after his execution. But it didn't stop there. There's always been um, a a story about Ned Kelly's skull. Um, This seems to have been um, spawned by a, I think it was a Ballarat newspaper, who wrote um, a report about medical students going crazy on Ned's body after his execution and chopping it up. They alleged that there wasn't a, a famous person's office in Melbourne that didn't have a bit of Ned Kelly in it, and his... Um, head was cut off and his skull used as a paperweight in an office. Now this story um, gained quite a bit of um, impetus from people who were interested in Ned Kelly and it was always assumed that that's what had happened. Now when I first came to the jail as a tourist in 1970s in one of the cells there was Ned Kelly's death mask and right beside it Ned Kelly's skull. Now, you knew it was Ned Kelly's skull because it had Ned Kelly written on it, but um, that's, what, that's how it was advertised here at the jail. And that skull was stolen and eventually held to ransom. Uh, and we got communications from the person who had it in Western Australia uh, offering to give it back if we could guarantee a, a decent burial for it and that sort of stuff. Now, National Trust was a bit embarrassed about this situation because we really didn't want to be uh, dealing in human remains and we probably shouldn't have had the the cell on uh, the skull on on show anyway but eventually eventually that skull 
was returned um, and um, DNA tests were made upon it um, through one of the Kelly family still alive and it was conclusively proved that the skull was not Ned's. So Ned's, that, that put paid a bit to the rumour but the next thing that made it even surer that the skull wasn't Ned's was the discovery of Ned Kelly's skeleton at Pentridge. And we have a photograph of it here. And there's Ned's skeleton, and you can see a large chunk of the skull is still there. So this skull that they had here couldn't be Ned's. And what's more, the top of that skull, it's not a great photograph there, but when you look at the actual bone, it's been cut on the top. So it's been um, worked on during an autopsy, uh, and there are a couple of other cuts around the body too which suggests an autopsy. So really the only bit of Ned's skull that's missing is this front piece here, and it wouldn't have been intact, it wouldn't have had any integrity, so it could be anywhere. Um, it was a great mystery while it lasted, but the only part of that mystery that still survives is whose skull is that? Trevor, we've just come into one of the cells here, and there's a there's a full collection. There's four death masks here in front of us of other prisoners that were executed. What what can you tell me about these? Well, um, I love this cell because it gives you a, there's a, there's a great story for each one of these four men, but it shows you how accurate these death masks are. We're standing in front of Alfred Archer's death mask now, and if you look at it very very closely, you can see he has a full set of eyelashes sticking out of the of the plaster. Now, that in itself is pretty, pretty ghoulish, I suppose. But those eyelashes have pulled out of the body, into the plaster mould they made, out of the plaster mould and into that model, and they're in exactly the right place. Now, that is fine detail. It's quite extraordinary. Um, the, the making of death masks, here we are there, um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a skilled, a skilled job. Um, a number of people made them here at the jail. One of the most famous was a bloke called Kreitmeier who owned a waxworks um, in Melbourne. And it seems that there was a, a deal that Kreitmeier made the death masks and he got the right to make a model for himself to show in his waxworks. So you would find the day after a person was hanged here, his death mask and model and the story of his life pops up in Kreitmeier's waxworks for people to pay and go and see. Trevor, you spend a lot of your life with the ghost of Ned Kelly, exploring these rooms. Where does he sit in your mind? Because some people think of him as Australia's Robin Hood, a real hero, a hero of the working man. Other people have called him a a murderous thug. Where do you think he, he belongs in Australian history? Well, it's interesting that you've identified that contrast because that's a problem for me here at the jail because I meet people from both extremes Um, you know Ned Kelly's a a thug, Ned Kelly's Robin Hood Uh, and of course the real story is down the middle Um, I find the story intriguing Um, I wouldn't wouldn't mind an hour at a dinner table with him to, to, to sort of really see what he was like because we've got his actions and we've got what other people have written about him and we have 
his words in the Geraldry letter, for example, and we can sort of make an analysis of that, but he seems to have been a real character. Um, people who knew him appear to have liked him. Uh, for example, I've never read anything written by a woman who didn't find him charming. I suppose that's the Irish coming out in him. But um, he was a he was a tearaway. Um, I think the word larrikin was invented to describe him uh, right from a, a young age. He had a hard life, and a lot of people use that as an excuse for um, his actions, but a lot of people had hard lives back then. It wasn't easy being poor Irish in, in early Victoria, um, and Ned had those troubles, but other families and other people who had those troubles didn't necessarily become horse thieves, bank robbers and cop killers Uh, and Ned did go down that track he was born into a a family that seemed to make uh, a real art of stealing horses and there's a long history of of that um, in uh, the northeast of Victoria and Ned was drawn into that so that's what he knew he certainly had a very strong sense of injustice and um, he wanted fairness um, and really that's not much more than everyone wants everyone wants what wants fairness and he saw around him a lack of that his mother was poorly treated according to him he was poorly treated uh, the way he was treated um, here in the in the jail not by the jail people necessarily but uh, during the court case uh, it, it wasn't very fair and uh, he was very aware of that. So I find him an intriguing character. Uh, there's a streak of, uh, I don't want to say cruelty, but he was, he was a hard man. There was no question about that. Um, the, what happened at Stringybark Creek, where the three policemen were killed, is still controversial. People still argue about it. Um, did Kelly give the police a fair chance Kelly always argued that he said throw down your guns Uh, one of them did he survived, three didn't they were shot Um, Kelly also said that he was expecting them to shoot first and ask questions later and he cited evidence for that as other people have Um, Ian Jones for example uh, I suppose the great um, go-to expert on Ned Kelly for years here in Australia he contends that but people who argue from the other side say no that was a fabrication of his imagination so there are so many mysteries in this man um, and I don't know if we're ever going to get any closer to solving them because people are still writing about him every year books and movies come out about Ned Kelly because the story itself is absolutely fascinating and the way he went about things, you know, his the, the intricately planned bank robberies uh, at Euroa and Geraldry, fantastic pieces of, of um, organisation and very, very successful, uh, right down to the absolute disaster of that last shootout at Glenrowan, which was poorly executed and suicidal in a way Um, he's a man full of contradictions and I don't see me in my short life ever being able to solve all of those 
Well, Trevor, thank you for your time in showing us uh, the story of Ned Kelly in his final days. It's been absolutely extraordinary. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.